Welcome to the Future of Protein Production Podcast. In this series, we will explore the technological advancements that are shaping alternative proteins. From cultured meats to plant-based proteins, we will talk to experts and innovators who are working towards a more sustainable, efficient, and kind protein production system. Join us as we dive into the exciting possibilities and challenges of the alternative protein production industry in the years to come. Good afternoon, everyone. We're delighted to introduce Mark Post, the Chief Scientific Officer of Moza Meat, who are true pioneers in the cultivated meat sector. So welcome, Mark, to this April and May 2023 edition of Protein Production Technology International. Thank you for joining us. Before we get into Moza Meat and the topic of cultivated meat, I just wanted to take a step back to the moment where you realised that you wanted to build Moza Meat in the first place. So as I'm sure we all remember, the burger that you revealed in 2013, which was the culmination of many years' work to get to that particular stage. Could you possibly explain the genesis of Moza Meat and why did you start working in this field and when and what drove you and what inspired you? Right. Yeah, so Moza Meat started in 2016, so three years after the unveiling of the hamburger. And we realized that to make that impact, you know, that was a nice proof of concept, but of course it was not a product and we didn't have a production system. We just did this out of the university with money from Sergey Brin. And in order to make the impact that we were aiming for, we realized that we needed to start a company. So I dreaded that moment for a long time being, having been an academic for 30 years and, you know, late in my career, start a company. Now I have started two companies and because I just thought it would make my life more complicated. And in fact, it did, but also made it also made it more fun, to be honest. So I, I don't regret that. We started working on this as a government subsidized scientific project in mm -hmm. 2005. And that ended in 2009 with a statement from the government. Yeah, you have achieved all this quite nice. You've met your milestones, but we don't see any societal interest in this particular topic. This was a subsidy from a, a, a grant from the Ministry of Economic Affairs in the Netherlands. So not the scientific section, but economic affairs. And they said, okay, we don't really see a lot of interest. So we're not going to continue funding. And of course, we were quite frustrated by that and said, okay, then, then we're all going to make some noise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, we got funding for that from uh, Sergey Brin, and that's why we were able to present that hamburger in London in 2013. And to our delight, that kind of was the start of an entire industry. Absolutely. And, and you just mentioned that the, the original sort of government funding, they said there wasn't enough appetite, so to speak. Would you say that this has, has changed now, particularly in the Netherlands? Oh, oh, absolutely. In this country, you cannot open a newspaper without reference to the environmental impact of livestock agriculture. So there's now a lot of tailwind to make this happen, both politically, financially, and also scientifically. So yes, we, we certainly the time has changed and the mindset has changed. And we saw that already kind of in the public, in the public acceptance for the discussion, but we now see it at many different levels. Very good. So cultivated, cultured, salag, lab-grown, you know, what's in a name and what have you settled on at Moza Meat and why? We have settled on cultivated meat and 
we, we started with cultured meat, but then it became cultivated meat. To me, to a non-English person, this is kind of the same, but for two reasons. One is we would like to stick to the, to the meat category uh, because we feel we are making the same tissue. And in the end, it would be silly to not call it meat if it's the same tissue. So that's one. But you need to inform the public and the consumer that it's made in a different way. Hence, the qualifier cultivated or cultured. And yeah, so for me, that is, it, it's not a marketing name. It's not a, you know, something that people will trigger to buy this. And it's not intended as such. It's intended as a description of a category. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think you're right. We need to have a consistent way of naming these products in order to make it more palatable to the consumer, not not only you know to have a, a clear descriptive term, but also something that is appetizing. I think, I don't know if you agree, but using terminology such as lab-grown or synthetic meat is, is very off-putting um, and it, it, it could potentially be very damaging if, if regulators were to go down that route and use such terminology. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I do agree. But, you know, there is also a tendency, albeit kind of still nascent, a tendency to call this cell-based meat, mm-hmm. which... As a scientist, I heavily object against. For for the public, it may not make a lot of difference. And they may say, okay, and then I understand what it is. As a scientist, I have problems with this because, you know, I'm a cell-based person. So it doesn't really it doesn't really tell me anything that's because regular meat is also cell-based. So I I it's kind of an illogical term to me. That's very interesting because I, I was just on a on the call with the FAO this morning. Um, right. They publish they just published their paper on cell based food safety risks, right. and they're very much set on using cell based, which I think is very interesting. Whereas right. over in over in the US, the FDA is using cell cultured, and also um, I don't know if you saw, but the UK FSA also published a paper earlier this month or last month, sorry, and they, they specified in that paper that they prefer the term cultured rather than cultivated. So I, I think there's still quite a lot of you know people doing their own thing and calling it many, many different things at the moment. But right. Moses set on cultivated, so that's clear. Yeah. And within the FAO committee, I'm, I'm co-author on that manuscript of the FAO committee, and I, I heavily fought against using the name cell-based, <laughs> but I, I lost. Oh dear. I actually thought we'd evolved from cell-based as well, but but there we go. Yeah. Okay, so let's cast our minds back to the momentous day back in August 2013, when you were on, on television unveiling the very famous first cultivated meat burger. You know, what was the reaction to that unveiling and, and was it well received? I think it was well received. You know, we, we, we didn't really do a, a statistics on it, but roughly 80 to 90% of all the public exposure was positive. Um, mm-hmm. In spite of headlines like Frankenstein food and yuck. And, but if you then read through the article, it was actually quite positive. And we didn't know. We, it could have gone either way, right? Because we, we always had some positive feedback from media but they came to us and they so they were interested in in the subject so you never know how that kind Mm -hmm. of colors their perception and their writing about it but now we went out and gave everybody the opportunity to publish about this and 
it was mostly positive, but the, the, the vast majority was positive, which is interesting because obviously it's a quite a controversial subject. So it, again, it could have gone either way. Uh, and I interpret that positivity as a sort of underlying sentiment with meat eaters that this is actually a problem and that if there is a solution for it, we would welcome it. And and most people don't even realize how big that problem is. And according to, you know, the FAO in mm-hmm. 2050, it becomes a completely unsustainable problem. So that that kind of illustrates, especially now, but even in 2013, that people mm-hmm. would like to have a solution for this. And that, to me, explains the kind of the positive attitude. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the media play a massive role in, you know, how these things are, are, are going to be perceived. You know, do you, how do you see the role of the media? And do you see there being a big risk of them setting the narrative on cultivated meat and going down the route of, you know, using very negative terminology like frankenfood? And also, you know, can we draw parallels from what happened with GMOs back in the 90s? And is there a risk that this could happen again with cultivated meat? Um, I think there is that risk. This is a technology that, you know, concerns food and people are emotional about food and not necessarily very rational or knowledgeable about food. It's also a technology that is hard to understand, like GMO. So yes, it could go quite easily the GMO route. Again, here, I think what sets it apart from the GMO discussion is that the GMO discussion initially was completely non-transparent. There was no, they had to kind of start their storytelling after the fact. And then you are in the defensive mode, and then it all becomes a lot more problematic. That's also the reason why we try to be completely transparent about this, to tell what it is, how we do it, and to to avoid that problem. The second is that GMO started as a technology to cover up for a side effect of a pesticide, right? And that's not a good story to tell. (laughs) True. So... I can understand Monsanto that they had a hard time start being transparent about this because it's not a very good story to tell. Whereas here with with cultivated or cultured meat, you have a good story to tell. So there's a big difference between those two. And I think that's what that's why we see also in acceptance studies, and, and granted these are surveys and not, you know, selection studies in a supermarket, but that that we see a relatively high level of acceptance and understanding why we are doing this. Yet it it can it, it doesn't need a lot. It needs only a couple of scandals to turn it the other way. So we still have to be quite diligent here and good at, at our communication. Absolutely. And this leads me to a slightly controversial question. What's your opinion of the mammoth meatball? You know, was is that too soon, or, or you know, do you welcome it? You know, what what do you think about Bow's mammoth meatball? I think it's a gimmick. It uh, it basically, you know, I it's kind of fun thinking about these things, but it's a gimmick, and it's also quite confusing in a way that you know, this was obviously not a mammoth piece of meat. <laughs> there was one protein and only you know a kind of fraction of a protein that was mammoth DNA derived. So it's, it's, it's drawing attention to the field. Um, mm-hmm. That may be a good thing, 
but it may also be okay this this starts to sound a little bit more even more techy and so so we have been quite down to earth we have a problem the problem is meat consumption and meat production in now and especially in the future we need to have a solution this is a technology that basically provides the same tissue and is a is a solution to that problem and everything else that is possible that you can think about this technology. And, and, and in the past, we have seen even crazier examples than mammoth balls. If you, <laughs> you have a, we have a designer group in the Netherlands, the Next Nature, that came up, that had a couple of students from the Technology University of Eindhoven to come up with all sorts of new ideas and new designs on, on what you could do if you have this cultivated meat. But the, the the essence is that we are trying to solve a problem and that we do only by replacing meat by meat and not by mammoth meat. <laughs> yes, indeed. And a regulatory nightmare, I can tell you, going down the mammoth route. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been a very big and exciting 12 months for cultivated meat. Obviously, we saw Upside Food getting their no questions letter from the FDA, followed by Good Meat very recently. We saw cultivated meat on the menu at COP27. So, you know, what are your views on the progress that has been made, you know, not just over the last year, but the past 10 years? And what have been the biggest industry milestones that you think have received less attention over this, this period of time? Yeah, sure. So the I'm quite happy with how this develops. It's it takes longer than you hope for, but you know everything takes longer. And it, retrospectively, you know, ten years is not a long time for a completely new technology like this. What is quite nice to see is that companies are scaling up production, and mm-hmm. scaling is was considered an Achilles heel of this technology. Right? To are you able to make this at an industrial scale and companies like Good Meat and Believer Meat and Upside and also Mosa are gearing towards that and and showing that you can scale this. So that's a big, that's a big thing. The other thing, of course, is that there are first regulatory approvals, which we always kind of expected because we know there's nothing, you know, there's no health risks at all in, in any of these products or production systems, but yeah, you need to pass the regulatory approval. So that was, that's good news. What we are still looking at, I think there's two things is uh, current, currently what we see is mostly hybrid products and not pure mm-hmm. products. So the majority of the product is still plant-based and animal cells or animal tissues are added as sort of an ingredient. That is a good first step. But it's mm-hmm. uh, we still have a long way to go to get to pure tissues and to the to the real meat that we envision, and that and that's the second step at a price that's affordable for let's say people who enter a supermarket, and of course we are still somewhat away from that. Yes, absolutely. And and where does Mosa Meat sit in the cultivated meat sector today? You know, what what is your current business model? Are you going for B two C, B two B, or are you targeting high end food service, high end restaurants? You know, what are you thinking as your position point into the market? Yeah, all of the above. <laughs> no, initially this is going to be a somewhat expensive material with low availability. So you go to restaurants and you go to very limited outlets. That's just Mm -hmm. a necessity of it. 
and you can tar you can build any marketing story around it but in the end that's just what drive what what's given by the parameters the this has the possibility so we as a company focus on beef for mm -hmm. environmental reasons primarily and there are two components to that it's the muscle component it's, and it's the fat component so we do both mm -hmm. um, and one but these are separate production lines for the muscle and the fat so that gives you the opportunity to also use them as separate products or as separate ingredients. And especially for the fat that has kind of interesting kind of applications because you could envision that you add the fat to other food mm -hmm. substances and get the typical flavor of animal fats in your product without having to, you know, having to add all sorts of artificial fats that are either flavors or have don't have the same cooking behavior and you have to add a lot of other stuff to make it tasty so there are opportunities here because of those separate production lines to actually also market them or sell them as separate things and then you have more like a b2b strategy so it's mm -hmm. pretty much all of the above Okay, great. And, you know, in terms of nutrition, you said, you know, having the, the, the cultivated fat or the, or the, the fat uh, is going to be providing a very similar taste to animal or beef derived products. But in terms of nutrition, you know, how are you making sure how are you ensuring that the cultivated beef that you're producing is nutritionally equivalent to conventional meat? Is it going to be on par? Or are you going to try and enhance the nutritional characteristics of your cultivated products? Yeah, we don't really have an intention to enhance that. The, so we, we are really intending to make this on par, meaning that for the muscle tissue, all the proteins are there at sufficient quantity so that you have the full amino acid profile and the heme iron and everything that is associated with the nutritional quality of beef. For fat, we do the same, but for the fatty acids and for the taste, what we see, however, and this is somewhat serendipitous, is that the fat that we are creating in the, in the lab or in the factory is in fatty acid composition, very, very similar to conventional fat taken from a cow. However, the level of unsaturated fatty acids is somewhat higher. So there is the possibility, we, we haven't done any studies yet, but there is the possibility that this fat is actually somewhat healthier for you than regular beef fat. Very good. That sounds very encouraging. And just thinking about the, the manufacturing process, as far as I understand, Mosameet has opted to use primary cells rather than stem cells. You know, what, what are the benefits to this approach and what are the risks to this approach? Right. So that's correct. These are primary cells. By the way, we, we call them adult stem cells because they mm -hmm. the, the satellite cells in a muscle are the stem cells of our muscle. They, they have all the characteristics of stem cells, but they are not embryonic stem cells. So embryonic stem cells can make any tissue. Muscle stem cells can only make muscle tissue. And we also derive from that same biopsy, we derive precursors of fat cells. So they are the stem cells of fat, if you like. And so what, what we do is we let them expand and proliferate for many, many times. And then what they are very good at is making tissue. So of our muscle cells and our fat cells, 
90 to 100% of the cells actually participate in muscle creation or fat creation. That's the advantage of using primary cells. The disadvantage is that because they are already somewhat committed to a particular tissue, they, they lose some of their proliferative capacity. So you cannot get, so if you take an embryonic stem cell, you can, let's say, make 10 million kilos of beef out of a single biopsy. If you take an adult stem cell, you can only make, well, at most 10,000 kilos of beef out of a single biopsy. So there is a limited proliferative capacity. So you have to go back to the animal mm-hmm. once in a while to get a new biopsy. And that's kind of the, the disadvantage. The other advantage, by the way, of the primary cells is that you don't need to genetically modify them. And since we are based in Europe and there is, as you know, regulatory issues with genetic modification, but also consumer acceptance issues, the uh, it, we see it as kind of a unique selling proposition to have a non-GMO approach to this. Absolutely. I think it's, it's very, very, very wise in Europe to avoid using modified cells. We're just not ready. I don't think that the regulatory framework's just not there yet to... Right. To, to cope with that, if we look at um, Impossible Foods, soy leg hemoglobin, which is just you know, authorized everywhere except for the EU because it's classified as a genetically modified food and therefore it's been stuck since 2019, you know, being evaluated by, uh, by EFSA. So, yeah, we, we don't want to see cultivated meat fall into that GM food trap. Right, right. But, but I, I think this is, this is especially true for Europe. Uh, But I also think in other geographies and in other consumer bases, if you come up with a GMO-free alternative, it would have kind of a unique character to it and and an advantage. We are not religiously against GMO, but it's just for this particular purpose, the combination of cultivated meat and GMO could be a, a problematic combination. Yeah, I think keep it keep it as simple as possible to right. to start with. <laughs> Definitely, you know we're seeing you know some EU member states openly you know saying that they're not in support of cultivated meat. Obviously, we've seen the news from from Italy very recently. You know they're making moves to to preemptively ban it. We've also seen French as well saying that they're generally opposed to to, to cultivated meat. Is Mozambique concerned about this? And and what are you doing as a company to engage with governments and, and different stakeholders? Yeah, we are concerned about this. It, it needs to be qualified a little bit. There are also quite opposing voices within Italy and France. So it's it's not as black and white as it's now kind of portrayed in the media. The we, we are engaging with the political parties, with the governments, with the NGOs to see what how we can, where this kind of where these sentiments are coming from and how we can deal with them. So we're quite active in that field. We also have an association of a number of colleagues. And so we do this together with 12 other companies in in Europe. But yeah, it's something that we're continuously looking at and, and trying to understand and trying to respond to it. At a government level, at a political level in Brussels, at local levels and at basically public levels. 
Yeah, and and you know you mentioned earlier about the situation in in the Netherlands, and we've seen obviously very recently the political party that's that's gained a lot of seats and a lot of prominence. You know, what's what's going on there, and is is that a concern? It sounds as though you know there are a lot of very angry farmers in the Netherlands, and, and you know what's your view on this, and what is the role farmers can play in cultivating meat? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, to be fair. This is uh, these are regional elections, right? It's not a national election. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our our biggest concern is that the nitrogen discussion in the Netherlands, which is heavily led, uh, that that will be frustrated, which is at the detriment of the little nature that we have in this in this country. <laughs> so that's that's a big concern. The what we also see in kind of a limited way in with some farmers is that they are quite nuanced about this and say, so, okay, you know, we we also see that there are issues here that we are that we have a big impact on the environment and we would like to change that. And if you give them the option to move away from livestock farming to crop farming, which some of them are already doing, for instance, in pork, because it's very difficult to make money with pork farming. They move, my neighbor moved from pigs to potatoes. And if you give them the opportunity instead of being bought out, which is now kind of the alternative to move from dairy or beef, we have very little beef, but dairy and beef to crop farming, crops that can be used as a feed for the cells, then that might be a a better alternative for them than just being bought out. So we can kind of direct a narrative towards this goal. And and we see that some farmers, definitely not all, but some farmers are quite receptive to this idea. Good. Yeah. And and just sort of building on that, in October 2021, you were awarded a React EU grant for a feed, feed the Meat project, which was designed to cost lower the cost of cultivated beef. And in this, you were working with the animal feed company Nutreco. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about this relationship, you know, how it evolved, what it's what the goals are and why the cell feed supply chain is important? Yeah, sure. So we were approached by Nutreco as a big feed merchant and, and and also by other feed merchants or feed producers, by the way, because they they see us maybe potentially as a threat. Okay, if you succeed, then we lose our business. So quite interestingly, we had early interest from a number of feed producers in the Netherlands and in Europe. Nutreco kind of stood out. It's a Dutch company, so that makes it a little bit easier, I guess. And they stood out with very specific ideas on we can provide all the ingredients that you feed to cells, but now in a feed or food grade kind of level and thereby reduce the cost by a hundredfold of all the basic nutrients that you put in this feed. And so what we have with the, the EU fund, what we have done is very systematically test all sorts of replacements, food or feed grade replacements of what is currently still all pharma grade. And not surprisingly, all these substitutes work. They work the same as pharma grade. And it's completely to be expected. It it was just never done. So Nutreco is now building a small factory supplying at scale 
all the ingredients that we have tested that we can easily replace for the pharma grade ingredients and or, or, or we can replace the pharma grade ingredients with these, thereby reducing the cost of the medium tremendously and also providing the scale of production. No, and that's great. And, and obviously using pharma grade, the, the, the specifications are very different as well compared to food and feed grade specifications. And, and so that it's from a regulatory perspective, it's much easier for regulators to get their heads around using food or feed grade components rather than pharma grade components. Yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert in this, but this is, this is a particular area of interest for Nutraco, of course, and they have a lot of experience with the regulatory, regulatory paths of each of those components. And yeah, we, we don't envision that there, are, that there will be major obstacles there. And where there are potential obstacles, we try to just avoid them. So, so far, we... We go for the route that all the replacements that we know are acceptable from a regulatory perspective, that we implement them and the others we deal with the regulators and say, okay, you know, this is now a different specification, but we don't see any mm -hmm. problem. How do you feel about that? No, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that's very good. And, and just now moving a little bit further afield. So we recently published a story about your partnership with ESCO Asta over in Singapore. Could you let us know a little bit about the significance of this partnership for you and how important is Singapore today in the cultivated meat sector? Yeah, so the, the relationship with ESCO Asta is basically that with a CMO, so they are going to produce locally our product, which is from many, many perspectives is a good thing. One is we don't need to do all the, those investments ourselves and kind of duplicate our, our team and have kind of a Singapore entity. They have the experience also with, with good meat. And, uh, and yeah, they have the experience with the scale of this, this cell production. So for us, that's a, that's a very positive thing. It's still slightly... The, 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 the tech transfer from us to Esco Aster is going to be a little bit more complex than the tech transfer of good meat to Esco Aster because we add a substantial differentiation step to the medium, to the, to the product. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what they need to learn and need to, need to establish. But uh, we're quite confident that they will be able to do that. So for us, that's a, that's a very good step. Singapore, obviously is an important area, not from a consumer kind of perspective, but from a regulatory perspective and a intention from a government perspective. So they, they really, understandably, they, since they want to produce 30% of their food in 2030, they need to be very interested in all these technologies that require not a lot of land and not a lot of resources so that they can locally produce meat and other products of fermentation or any other technology that doesn't require land, water, and so forth. So it's understandable from their perspective. It's very helpful for us because they have a, a very good understanding now of the regulatory path. They have learned about this. They have implemented this. They are fast because they are very, very interested. And they always claim that they are kind of a stepping stone towards the Asian market. We will mm -hmm. see about that, but that's, that would be kind of an added advantage, if you like. 
Yeah, I mean, Singapore, I always describe it as my, you know, the absolute favorite regulatory framework. They're just a dream to work with and a, and a pleasure and always so helpful. And yeah, it's, it's always a pleasure working with them. And it's great to see what can happen when the government is, is behind a particular initiative. Absolutely. And sort of going on, uh, thinking a bit more about regulations, obviously, we haven't seen a novel food dossier for cultured meat yet be submitted to the European Commission and EFSA. What's your pathway to market for Europe? Yeah, quite quite clearly, we we want to be the first to submit a dossier to, to EFSA. I think we are set up for that quite well uh, because we... We are doing a lot of analytical studies ourselves, develop the analytical technology so that we can have ISO certified labs to do all the analysis. So our submissions are not based on calculations or estimations. They are based on hard data of analytics. Okay. And so I think we are set up to 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 do that quite well. The, as you know, the conditions for submission in Europe are a lot stricter and and more extensive than they are in other geographies. And we see that also as kind of getting a, a gold seal once you have that approval, right? So as an example to to the rest of the world, okay, we have we have passed kind of the the most the toughest regulatory <laughs> <Yes>. environment. <laughs> so be happy. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. If you can, if you can get through the EU approval process for novel foods, then you know, you know your product is is safe, a hundred percent. And we do, um, we do actually get the, the the feedback from other food companies that although it's considered tough, uh, mm-hmm. it's also quite well organized and quite well kind of uh, defined, uh, so that in some cases it's actually not that slow. It's actually because it's well defined, it can go faster. But yeah, we do have the political situation where all the member states have to <laughs> look at yes. this as well. <laughs> yes, 55% of the EU member states representing 65% of the population need to vote in favor to, to authorize the product at the end of the, at the end of the process. So yeah. that's going to be a challenge when, when you have Italy and, and France already sort of saying that they're not on board with it. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting, but I think we have a lot of time, you know, to, to, to change, to educate and to, and to get member states on board. Yeah. And, and populations on board. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm not too pessimistic about that, but it, uh, the, the, if you actually understand what's happening in France, it's a relatively small uh, yet vocal uh, mm-hmm. part of the, the population and the government that is opposed. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And it's, and it's very hard. I mean, I'm, I'm 100% convinced that we can demonstrate that cultivated meat is safe. And in terms of novel foods, we tend to see that there aren't political reasons for voting against the approval of novel foods, which we see with, with, with genetically modified foods. So I'm, I'm quite hopeful that we will see a very positive outcome. Yeah, so am I. But yeah, again, we have contingency plans, but it's as a European company, we're quite focused on getting the, the first regulatory submission and approval in Europe. 
So what, what are your timelines? So, you know, once you get your dossier in, when are you expecting to, to get approval? That's a hard thing to, because it's not up to us, right? It's uh, the only thing we can do is do our submission as well as possible and according to the, to the guidelines and the instructions as possible, and then hope that indeed it's a year and a half and not longer than that. We don't expect it to be shorter than a year and a half. So that's, that, that's clear. In terms of when we are ready to submit, I cannot say too much about this, but this of is course. the next priority of, we, we have just submitted in Singapore and this is the next priority. Yeah, no, no. I think it would, it's, I think a year and a half to three years is usually the time scale that, that, that we're, we're looking at in, in Europe. And yeah, the key to reducing those timelines is to produce a very good quality dossier, very high quality data, as you say, performed in accredited laboratories following internationally recognized methods and, 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 and sticking to the guidance as much as possible. Yep. Yeah. But it's a tough nut to crack. So uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing the first novel food dossiers go in for, for cultivated meat. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, this is, we, we now see that, that we are ahead of the game in terms of the analyses. So yes, that, that sets us in sort of a good, uh, that, that, that provides a good condition for the submission in the, in the EU. Yeah. Brilliant. And, and in terms of scaling up, last October, you announced the expansion of your pilot facilities and it's, it was planned to be open this year. Where are you with this and, and what do you see? What will we see happening in these new facilities? Yeah, it's open and the official opening is the 8th of May. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's already now, now open, of course, <laughs> and it's still a, a, a small scale. It's a pilot facility, so it's a small scale production that allows for, indeed, regulatory submissions, maybe some small tastings. The tasting issue in the Netherlands is still somewhat uh, mm-hmm. complex. We are allowed to stage tasting, but it needs to be under conditions and under the control of the Ministry of Health. But we are allowed to stage tasting, so we will use that material to do that and to also yeah, get, the, get the sufficient material for the regulatory approval. It will not be a production for marketing yet because we cannot market mm-hmm. in Europe. So we would, if we would do that, we would be way too early. And how are you building sustainability into your, into your operations? Is, is this important to, to Moza Meat? It's very important. Actually, we are filing, and I think set up to become a B Corp. And we have worked with a number of other sustainability institutions to basically look at all our processes and where where can we make it greener and with less CO2 emissions. So it's 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 the reason why we are here, to be honest, the, the sustainability. So it should be it would be kind of weird if we would not pay attention to that. But in the end, the 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 most impact we can make with is is with the product and with the way the product is being made. So one big sustainability effort is in, you know, how much feed do we actually use to create mm-hmm. a kilo of meat? That's our that's by far our biggest metric. And we have an entire team working on reducing that by specific feeding strategies where you reduce the, the amount of meat medium that you need per kilo of meat. Feed conversion ratio in, 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 in 
exactly. traditional agriculture. <laughs> exactly. And, and of course, you know, we put solar panels on the roof and all those type of things and we, we make the, the, the building as sustainable as possible. But by far the biggest impact is coming from the, yeah, making the product as efficiently as possible. And, and what next? So after, after you have your, your beef product being sold globally, what, what comes next for Moza Meat? We are here to primarily make an impact. So we want to reduce the number of cows tremendously. And that means that you have to grow, either scale up or scale out. And we believe that scale out is, is a, a, a faster strategy so that you license other people to other institutions in, in different parts of the world to manufacture according to your specifications and your, your standard operation procedures. So uh, we have chosen that model of scaling out exactly because we want to make impact as fast as possible because we feel the time crunch of you know, climate change and, and having to face 2050 with whomever, 8.8 or 10 billion people and, and a lot more people eating meat in spite of the increasing number of vegetarians and vegans in Western Europe. And, 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 and then this is quite a, a, a difficult question. You know, do you think cultivated meat will succeed? It is a difficult question, but of course, <laughs> I, for me, the, the question is easy and the, or the answer is easy. Yes. Otherwise, I would not be spending most of my time on this. But yeah, I think we, we are kind of at the right time set, at the right time frame where people realize that this is unsustainable. And so essentially we have... We have only one choice, and that is either become vegetarian or eat cultivated meat. And I think the the whole attention to that people may not like this idea is somewhat exaggerated. If we if we talk to people or if we let people eat sort of labeled cultivated meat, they have no problem with it. We eat all sorts of things that we don't know how it's made or what it's made of. So. It's you have to go past that initial hurdle and have early adopters, which we have more than enough. So I, I, I don't see that as a obstacle. And no, the, the real interesting part for me, at least, is scaling up, getting the price down to regular prices. Otherwise, it will be a niche product and we're not interested in that. And eventually get a full portfolio of products also you know, ribeye steaks and pork chops and, and what have you. And that's the next challenge that we will face. I, I've just done one or two last questions. You know, I speak to a lot of, a lot of investors and it seems as though they're getting, starting to get cold feet about investing in, in cultivated meat. Are, are you seeing the same, the same kind of thing? We've obviously seen, sadly, new age meats having to, having to, to close. Is this concerning to Moza Meats in terms of the, the investment landscape? It's hard for us to tell because it's hard to distinguish this from the effects of the Ukrainian war and, and inflation and the fall of the, the, the Silicon Valley Bank and all those things. So in, in that climate where investment needs a, a trusting climate and currently that trust is low. So it's, it's hard to distinguish those. We find that the investors that we talk to are still quite interested in investing in technologies 
that have an impact on climate change and have sustainability impacts. But yes, they are also looking at, of course, and they should, at the uh, technical economic analysis. And this is, there's no question, this is a capital intensive technology initially. It's, mm-hmm. it's also a big market with a lot of opportunities. But yeah, you need certain breed of investors to take that that chance see the see the the potential and but 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 also be able to take that chance and are in this for the long haul and not for the kind of immediate return of investment absolutely and then finally um what would you like your legacy to be for the for the food sector <laughs> that that's quite clear we we want to make an environmental impact so if we can reduce the number of cows to a level where they don't have a, a, an appreciable contribution to greenhouse gas emission, I would be happy. Fantastic. That's about all we have time for. Thank you so much, Mark, for being so candid with your responses and being so honest and also sparing an hour from your very, very busy schedule. And yes, we really look forward to following the Moza meat success story in the years to come and can't wait to see that novel food dossier go in as soon as possible. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Future of Protein Production Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and knowledge about the innovative technologies and practices that are transforming the way we produce protein. Don't forget to subscribe to Protein Production Technology International, our multimedia magazine, and follow us on social media to stay up to date with the latest news and updates. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes.